Can Christians fall from grace? The doctrines of grace say that we are saved without any merit of our own, but by the mere mercy and merit of Christ. God is faithful who having conferred grace upon us mercifully confirms and powerfully preserves us to the very end. Can God lose Christians? Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I give them eternal life, says Christ. And because of the power of the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are preserved to the very end for Christ's cross and his power is too great for your sin. Too great for your sin. All our sins are forgiven and we are forever the righteousness of God. But that's not the question I asked. I didn't ask, can God lose Christians? I asked, can a Christian fall from grace? The Canons of Dort, the fifth head of doctrine, states that a Christian can depart in some particular instances from the guidance of divine grace and be seduced by the lusts of the flesh and obey them. And the Canons call this departing, this falling, backsliding. So perhaps the better question for us reform types is, can the Christian backslide? And the answer is yes. Want to learn how? Want to learn how to backslide? Chapter 27 is a story of backsliding. It is a backsliding story. That's the title of my sermon. And it's a how-to sermon. How to backslide in three easy steps. And consistory is watching to see who finally takes notes for the first time. How to backslide in three easy steps. This is a story of backsliding. And this story of backsliding began with a thought. David, it says, verse 1, chapter 27, verse 1, then David said in his heart, he begins with a thought. The story, the text begins with David speaking to his heart. And he says, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. Now I shall perish by Saul. What was God's word to David? You shall be king. And Saul shall perish. But David doesn't begin the story with God. He begins with a lie. Now I shall perish. He speaks lies in, he speaks a lie into his heart. You see, backsliding begins with filling your heart with lies. David lied to his heart and it led him to more foolishness. He said, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Really, David, nothing better for you than to escape to the offspring of the serpent? I can think of someone better, and I'm sure you can too. 
But here's the foolishness of, of the lie. Nothing better than I escape to my enemy. I mean, is this the same David who wrote, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom? And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. Who is this David? In our text this morning. Now, I think we have to be a little sympathetic with this David. This David was under a lot of pressure. Saul has been hunting him for his life for at least, what, six chapters, five chapters, seven chapters, being hunted. And even his own people are now turning from him. His own people are turning from him. And he's been, he's been dodging in and out of foxholes in the desert with 600 men. Can you imagine the stress as a leader of all these men? Can you imagine the stress of being chased, the fear and the growing anxiety. And it became too much for David, and his, his vision begins to narrow, and all he can see is a way out. All he can see is escape. He escapes to his enemy for security. Verse 2, so David arose and went over, he and his 600 men who were with him, to, the, to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. Now, we've seen this before. Over in chapter 21, if you remember, when Saul was chasing David back then, David decided to go to Gath again. But then he instantly realized his mistake because he was the Goliath killer. And you remember Goliath, Goliath from Gath? And he instantly realized he was their chief enemy. So what did David do? He acted like a deranged man, right? He started acting like he was mentally ill, started scribbling on the wall, letting the uh, spit dribble down his beard. And the lie worked. The lie worked. He was preserved by his own lie, and he learned a lesson that day. It's a backsliding lesson. You can lie. It works. <laughs> And so here is David again, the, narrow, the vision narrows in trouble. And he seeks and he takes his family and his soldiers, they all go down to Achish. And it says, verse 4, And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. David turned to security. He turned for security to Gath, to his enemy, and it worked. Just like it worked last time. Sin, it worked. And that's the thing with sin. Sin often seems to work. It seems to work. So we convince ourselves of the lies. And backsliding begins with lies. The lies we tell ourselves when things don't turn out the way we hoped. When there's trouble, we often turn to lies for help. There are moral lies. There are moral lies that seem to help. We'll say to ourselves, well, looking isn't cheating. Or we'll say to our heart, little white lies never hurt anyone, especially when they get me out of trouble. Or it's not really gossip as long as so-and-so knows how terrible so-and-so is. There are also rational lies. 
We'll tell ourselves rationalized that seem to help. God is not there. God doesn't care. I don't need God. Matter of fact, everything comes from nothing. Lies. Backsliding begins with believing lies rather than God. And you need to kill those lies. Or those lies will be killing you. There is not a single mention of God in chapter 27. If you look, he's not here. He's not in this chapter. It's very interesting. The narrator just leaves God out of the picture in chapter 27. There's no mention of God. David never turns to God. He never says, hey, what's God's word? Bring me Torah. Where's the ephod? I need prayer. There's no need for God in this chapter, it seems. He's not here. He's not there. There's no promises. There's no law. There's no Torah, no prayer, nothing, zilch, nada. It's a godless chapter. Which is where backsliding leads to a chapter in your life without God. Which is interesting because chapter 26 ends... Chapter 26 ends with David looking to the Lord in this great glorious crescendo where he ascribes glory to the Lord, how the Lord is his protector, how the Lord, the vengeance of the Lord will provide and protect. But now in chapter 27, God is gone. And David's now turning within. He's looking within. He's speaking to his own heart, leaning on his own understanding, leaning on his own strength. Where's God? Where's faith? I think you find the answer in the verb, shall perish. Verse 1, now I shall perish. That's the same verb that David used in chapter 26, 10, when he said that God would certainly perish Saul. When he promised, uh, when he promised that God would wipe, he, he promised Abishai that God, Yahweh, would wipe Saul off the face of the earth. Saul would perish by the hand of the Lord. But now David reverses the promise. Now David will perish by the hand of Saul. Contrary to all that God has been doing, contrary to God's preservation so far, contrary to God's grace in his life so far, contrary to the promise of God, Contrary to the promise that God said to David that he will be king forever, have an everlasting kingdom. But contrary is now what David speaks. And that's how you backslide. You begin to speak to your heart lies and you begin to turn away from God's word to another word. You begin to look at other truths, which are not truths necessarily, but you begin to lean somewhere else other than God's word. And that's David. He's, he started, he starts chapter 27. He started chapter 27 contrary to the word of God. You see, the first principle of faith is God. The first principle, principle of backsliding is me. Notice all the first person singulars in this text. You could count them, but there's just too many to count. <laughs> the whole text is about David. It's all about me. 
Woe is me. And it's all about leaning on his understanding and leaning on his own strength. And when you face depression, when you face stress and anxiety on your own strength, you are going to fall. You're going to backslide. Begin with yourself. Begin with yourself, your own understanding, your own strength, and you're going to slide deeper into self and away from God. But the Bible is a light, a lamp unto my feet that leads us forward in the Christian life. Begin with the word and you will march forward in faith. You will fight and finish the race, but begin to turn to another word and begin to speak those lies into your own heart. You're going to go backwards You're going to trip. You're going to fall. That's David here in chapter 27. And and David felt trapped. He's being chased by Saul. He felt trapped. He felt like he had no hope. And he began this downward spiral. And when you begin the downward spiral, you begin to repeat things, small things over and over again. I have no hope. And you begin to believe these lies. And you can see it with David. The repetition, I shall perish, escape. There's nothing better. I need to escape. His His vision is narrowing so much that he cannot see his own way out, which is right before his eyes. The way out is the ending of chapter 26. In chapter 26, verse 24, David said, Behold as your life. Behold as your life was precious this day in my sight. That is the Lord speaking. Your life is precious. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. There it is. May my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all my tribulation. Here's what we need to say to our hearts. This is what we need to be saying to our hearts. My life is precious in the sight of the Lord. May the Lord deliver me out of my trouble. We need to be saying that to ourselves. Your life, say it, my life is precious in the sight of the Lord. My life is precious in the sight of the Lord makes all the difference. David knew how to talk to himself. Psalm 62, 5, David says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. That's soul talk right there. And soul talk is biblical. It is good to talk to our hearts, not the lies that we see David speaking to his heart here, but speaking the truth. And this truth must be begin, this truth must begin with God and his word. You have to talk truth to yourself. You have to say to your heart, my life is precious to the Lord. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. And some of you I know need to preach it every day. Probably all of you. My life is precious to the Lord. You're so precious to the Lord, Christian, that God sacrificed his only begotten son. He sacrificed his only begotten son because your life is precious to the Lord. 
He gave his son. How will he not give you all things, all that you need for body and soul? How will he not give you all that you need for life and in death? He watches over you in such a way that not a hair falls from your head without the will of your father. He cares so much for little things like your hair. And some of you, he's cared a lot. That's my bald joke. Because I have long, nice hair. But he cares so much for the little things. How will he not care for all of who you are? All of you. And Christ cares for you so much. Christ finds you so precious. He found you so precious. He willingly suffered the agony of hell for you. Did Christ die for anything else in all of creation? You're more precious to God than everything in creation. And that's the truth. That's the Christian truth. He cares. You're so precious. You need to hear that, Christian. You need to preach it to yourself. Speak it to your heart. I am precious in the sight of the Lord. I know that might run contrary to the understanding of total depravity, but I'm not talking total depravity. I'm talking doctrine of election. It's true. I am precious to the Lord. But backsliding begins with a lie that God is not there and does not care. Backsliding begins with a lie that God could care less about me. And then we begin to lie, live the lie. When we tell ourselves the lie, we begin to live the lie. Verse 5, David said to Akish, if I have found favor in your eyes, favor in a pagan's eyes, let a place been given to me in the country towns that I may dwell there, that I may live and find security with the ungodly. For why should your servant, now he's calling himself a servant of pagans, servant of the ungodly. And David has found favor, he's pleased the ungodly, he's become a servant of sin. That's backsliding. And then Achish says to him, verse 6, he gave him Ziklag, it says. So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. It's a very interesting verse. Very interesting verse because it's a very godless text. But this is an interesting verse because Ziklag was one of the territories promised Israel by Yahweh. In the Torah, God promises Ziklag to his people. Yet his people did not conquer Ziklag in sin. But interestingly enough, even in David's sin... Even though God seems so far from the text, he's actually here in the text, right here. You can see God in the text, God fulfilling his own promises, God fulfilling his own mandates, even through a backslider, which is the gospel. God blessing us even when we don't seem to care. God loving us even while we were still sinners. In verse 7, in the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. A year and four months and no mention of God. It's a long time. David believed a lie and it caused him to live it. 
And if you live the lie too long, you will begin practicing more. Verse 8, now David and his men went up and made raids against all these ites, the Gershurites, Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For these, it says, now this is a, an interesting phrase, it says, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. But the phrase, inhabitants of the land from of old, reminds us that these people don't belong there. They've been there from of old. And from of old, God said, remove these people from the land. They were under Torah ban, harem warfare. They were to be driven out of the land, but they remained They were spared, which was part of Israel's sin. But then it says, verse 9, something David begins to do. Verse 9, and David would strike the land. And he would leave neither man nor woman alive. So it looks like Israel, David, is beginning to follow Torah. Even though he's in a pagan place, he is now beginning to follow Torah. He's cleansing the land as God command. And some scholars right here say this is commendable of David. They say that David, even in exile, is following the Lord. Even in exile, he's faithless. Even in exile, he's still about his father's business. But is it the father's business to live a lie like this. It says, verse 10, when Akash asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say he would lie. Well, no, I went to the Negev. I was, I was fighting the Negevites. I was fighting, the, I was, I was fighting against Judah and, and, the, and all of these other people and against the Kenites and so forth. I wasn't fighting, the, I wasn't fighting our, our allies. No, 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 not our allies. Is it commendable for David to be aligning himself with the offspring of the serpent. Does Torah allow, does Torah allow, does it have any room for the Israelites to make amends with this ungodly nation and join their ranks and live amongst them and be concerned, become servants of them? No. Matter of fact, the raiding parties, raiding back in this day, now raiding in this day was wicked and evil. It was a form of theft. But raiders in this day ordinarily were not murderers. You can see that even in chapter 30. Look at chapter 30, verse 1 and 2. These are the same people that David just raided and murdered. And then in chapter 30, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid. So now the Amalekites are raiding. And they've raided even against Ziklag, which now belongs to David. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now notice verse 2. And taken captive of the women and all who were in it, both small and great, they killed no one. If anyone might have had justice to commit murder, it would have been these Amalekites who David just has been is murdering. But even they in this text are better than David. They were thieves. David in our text is a butcherer. He's not cleansing the land. There's nothing commendable here. And the narrator exposes his heart in verse 11. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive. Why? Not to follow Torah. There's no mention of God here. He would leave no one alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say to David, David has done such and such. 
His motivation is greed. His motivation is verse 9. He would take the sheep, the oxen, donkeys, the camels, the garments, and come back to Achish. His motivation was greedy. He was greed. He's, not, he's backsliding. There's nothing commendable here. He's a liar. It began with his heart. He lied, lived lies, did lies, and became a liar. Verse 12, and Achish trusted David. That's actually a very condemn, condemnable clause. The offspring of the serpent trusted David. Thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel, therefore he shall be my servant, always my servant. You see, David's evil scheme was ingenious and effective. And this, and his lie, it was ingenious, it was effective, but his lie made him a servant of sin. And his new life of sin was going to cost him. Verse 28, chapter 28, verse 1. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Akash said to David, now this is here, another very interesting phrase. Now look at it. He says, understand. It, it appears to me, I'm kind of reading this as if Akish has more honor than David. Akish here has more honor than David. He says, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. Do you understand what's about to happen? We're about to go slaughter Yahweh's people and you're going to fight for us. That is, you're going to fight for our gods. You are going to serve our gods. You are going to fight for our gods. And we are going to kill God's, Yahweh's people. Are you with me? Do you understand what's about to happen? Can you do that? I can hear Akesh. Akesh, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> Maybe you can, though. Have you fallen that far? And notice David's response, and Akish said to David, or David said to Akish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. You shall know what your servant can do. What can a Christian do when he's fallen? What can a backsliding Christian do I've seen Christians, Christians, backslide into some very dark places. I've seen Christians backslide into very dark places, and the effects are grievous, and they have ruined lives. I've seen Christians ruin lives. And Akish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard. I will make you my bodyguard for life. The Hebrew here is literally, I will make you keeper for my head. If you were to translate this literally, you'd be like, I will make you keeper of my head, which is ironic in the sense that David already had one head. He's already captured one Gathite head. When he captured that Gathite head, when he captured Goliath, when he went to battle with Goliath, he began with the Lord. He said in 17, chapter 17, verse 45, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will keep your head. 
David began with the Lord in chapter 17, and he had victory with and by the Lord. But in chapter 27, he begins with himself. And now he's fighting, potentially fighting against Yahweh. And then the chapter or the story ends, verse three, now Samuel had died and all Israel had more. What? That's a terrible ending. (laughs) Here's David about to go out to battle and all this suspense, right? You're reading this and you're like, now what's going to do? What's going to happen? Is David lost? Will he go fight for Israel? Verse three, now Samuel had died. Yeah, we already know that. (laughs) It's a terrible ending to the story. We're left with the suspense, the terror. We're left asking questions. Is David lost? Will he be lost forever? Pastorally, though, it's a perfect ending. Pastorally, it's a perfect ending because this is often life in this sad world. How many of you have seen your brothers and sisters backsliding in the Lord and you don't know? You're left in darkness. Will they return to the Lord? You're left in darkness as you pray, Lord, bring them back to the fold. We're left with the same suspense in life with people who backslide. We're left in the darkness. But the story is not over. Those there's this excursus with Saul in the medium of Endor, the story will return. The story is not over because when we are faithless, God is faithful. Can Christians backslide? Chapter 27 says yes. Chapter 27 says, oh yeah. But can God lose? A Christian. I'll let David answer that question. David wrote a psalm, surrounded this verse, this event in his life. He wrote a psalm, Psalm 54. And in Psalm 54, verses 5 through 7, David said, With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble. And my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. You see, God delivered David from his greatest threat, which was his own heart. David's greatest trouble was himself. But the Lord delivered. And David eventually turned back to God and said to his heart, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You see, David's weakness could not prevail against the power of God, and nor can your sin. We all fall into lies. We all fall into lies, and this is why Jesus gave you the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son shows you the parable of the prodigal son, prodigal prodigal son shows you how precious you are to God. You know the story, right? 
The young man who squandered, he leaves, he grabs the inheritance foolishly, takes his father's inheritance, and he runs off to a foreign land. He's, it's a picture of backsliding. He's leaving the Lord. He's leaving his father's home, and he, he ruins his life, which, was, which is life in sin without God. And when he's basically, you know the story, at the, at the pig trough, eating that terrible food, he remembers a revelation He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and his father felt compassion, and his father ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he is found. That's how precious you are in the sight of the Lord. That's how precious the backsliding Christian is in the sight of the Lord. When he returns, when he turns to the Lord. When he turns back to the Lord, all of heaven celebrates. Why does heaven celebrate when that lost sheep has come home? Because that lost sheep, dear Christian, the Christian in sin is precious. There's nothing more precious. You are more precious to God than anything in all creation. Someone so loved has come home in a love that was best demonstrated at the cross, John 1, 1 John 4, 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ loves His people so much, He willingly gave His life as a sacrifice. He willingly suffered the wrath of God against sin that you shall not want. Your life is so precious to the Lord, Christian. Turn to him in your time of need. Speak the gospel into your heart, for it alone is your only comfort in life and in death. And that's how you go forward in this life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.